All right. Well, turn to your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians. Colossians, and uh, we're in Colossians chapter 3, beginning the chapter. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4, but I'm only going to get to the first two verses this morning um, in, in the message. So Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Home Depot, as you might know, um, is for doers. It's um, it's where doers go to get more done. Um, and so their customers, they describe, this is actually on their website, um, that they like to get their hands dirty, test new skills, and build stuff. So, wow, that's, a, that's pretty impressive. And you can just go and wander around and get lost in their store and not find where you're looking for and belong to that club, um, I guess. Uh, but it's for doers. That's, what, that's as advertised. Christians also are doers. And so if you're a Christian, you are a doer. Christians like to get their hands dirty, test new skills, and build. Um, and when I say get hands dirty and test new skills and build, what I mean is minister to other people, minister to other people and practice the virtues that are oriented towards others, like the virtues that you read about in this letter of uh, Colossians, the virtues of a Christian, the virtues that Christians are to do. Well, in our study of Colossians, as we move from chapter 2 to chapter 3, which is what we're doing in beginning chapter uh, 3, we're moving from the negative to the positive. And uh, in chapter 2, Paul has been warning them not to go back to the old life. In, in fact, um, he's been warning them not to go back to a very subtle form of the old life. Um, it wasn't overt. The threat wasn't overt. You know, it wasn't advertised as going back to the old life. It was actually advertised as kind of a, a further step, an advanced step in the new life. Uh, but Paul was telling them, no, you've died to that kind of life in Christ by faith. And you are dying to that kind of life. So why would you want to go back to that kind uh, of a life? And so chapter two is negative. As you go to chapter three, you've turned a corner because he's talking about the new life that he's urging uh, on believers. And he's urging believers to the behaviors of the new life that we are now alive to in Christ by uh, faith. And so he's going to urge um, believers to the behaviors of the new life. And, and those behaviors are going to be individually enumerated in chapter three, one by one. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping actually to go through sort of slowly um, those uh, behaviors and virtues that you're to add on and do as um, a Christian. But before you scoot right into chapter three, right into the life of doing of chapter three and say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a doer. And so just tell me what to do and I'll start doing it. Um, before you do that, you need to stop because there is one place that you need to be aware of. In fact, you need to orient yourself to this one place 
if you're going to be a doer. In fact, if you're not a doer or if you're struggling as a doer, and that's part of the Christian life uh, too, if you're struggling as a doer, it may be because you're not as aware of this place as you ought to be. It may be uh, because you haven't oriented yourself to this place as you ought to. Uh, Because the whole Christian life of doing happens in connection with this place or not at all. If you miss this place, all your efforts towards the doings of the new life will turn out to be another form of the old life in a way that the old life catches up with you again. So what place am I talking about? The place is the right hand of God. The right hand of God. That's the place. And... um, it's, it's described here in these first uh, verses of uh, Colossians 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at, and here it is, the right hand of God. And so before Paul starts telling the Christians, here's what you need to do uh, to live the Christian life, he starts talking about this place that might seem far away to us. Um, it's the right hand of God. So what can I say about this place? And how can you imagine the right hand of God? And I'll just say a number of things. I can't exhaust what I could say about this, um, but I'll just say a a number of things about the right hand of God to start us out um, in this message. The place of the right hand of God is a place of a physical human body. There's a physical human body present there. So I don't know what you imagine. I don't really know what to imagine when you imagine uh, the right hand of God. Um, I, I don't think you would see a right hand, you know, if you were uh, to look at it. God is spirit. God is invisible. He's spoken of in terms of having a right hand um, and other features like that in order to communicate what he's like uh, for us. But God is spirit and he is uh, invisible. But after Christ's ascension to the right hand of God, there is a physical human body at the right hand of God. So if you were to see that place, I don't think you'd see a right hand, but I think you would see a physical human body with a right hand and a left hand and every other uh, body part. And I think you'd be able to see it. You'd be able to see Christ. You'd be able to feel him. You'd be able to reach out and touch him. You'd be able to give him a candy bar. And he'd be able to eat it because that's what happened at the, uh, it's, it's in Luke chapter 24, verse 42, where they gave Christ, the risen Christ, before he ascended uh, to the Father and took his seat at the right hand of the Father. They gave him a broiled piece of fish and he didn't say to them, well, that, what are you guys talking about? That's silly. He ate it. He ate it for them. It's a physical uh, body and that's recorded for us in scripture. And the human body that is at the right hand of God is God. It's God the Son. It's the second person of the Trinity. He is God in every way that the Father is God. He's very God, truly God. Um, and he's man in every way that we are man. He's truly human, even in his uh, glorified um, state and uh, in which he uh, lives now. And so it's a human body, a real human body, a physical human body at the right hand of God. And uh, that person is also God, is God uh, the Son. And the reason God has has a human body, God the Son has a human body like yours forever, is because God had to reach all the way down in order to save you. He had to become a man 
in order to to become just like you, to bear the sins uh, that belong to you and to to rise again uh, with the resurrection life that's shared with you. Um, He had to become a human being. There was no other way for him to do that. And so God the Son will forever be a human uh, and and be a, a human being. And at the right hand of the Father, it's the place of a physical human body the body of the resurrected, glorified, and ascended Lord uh, Jesus Christ. The right hand of God is a place of completion. It's a place of completion. There's a posture of this human body at the right hand of God, seated at the right hand of God. And seated is important in scripture. It's described more at length um, elsewhere where the significance of it is brought out. But sitting is something you do when your job is done. We talked about being a doer at Home Depot, but maybe after you're finished with that project and it's done, it's done the way you want it to be done, you relax. You sit down in your chair and you have a coffee and maybe you admire the work uh, that you've brought to completion. It's not a place of ongoing work. It's a place of completion, and especially in, in uh, as it relates to the work of atonement, atoning for our sins. Um, Christ is seated at the right hand of God as a priest. He completed a priestly work of uh, atoning uh, for us. And uh, the, temp- the temple and the tabernacle had lots of furniture, but no place for the priest to sit. There was a mercy seat where the, the presence of God uh, rested, but a priest's work was never done. They stood and they worked. They, were, they worked hard um, uh, at doing all the sacrifices and the sacrifices were never done. But uh, Christ is a priest who sits. And so the right hand of the Father, I'm trying to think of various ways to describe it. It's a place of completion. It's a place of a, where a human body resides. It's a place of completion. It's a place of acceptance. He's sitting there at the right hand of the Father, and the Father um, accepts him. It's a place of closeness and in- intimacy. To be at the right hand of someone is to be uh, intimately connected uh, with them. And I'm, I'm going to try to do this right, but remember the Last Supper um, they were reclining. That's how they sat um, at these uh, at these times. So they had a low table, and then they'd be on the ground. Um, their legs would be sprawled out like spokes of a wheel, which helps you understand how Jesus went around and washed the disciples' feet um, at this table. But uh, they'd be propped up. I'm going to try to do this right because I've done it wrong before from the pulpit. But they'd be propped up on their left hand like this, and then eating with their right hand uh, like this. And you remember John was at the was in the bosom of Jesus. In other words, on his right hand, right here. Um, And he was so close to the Lord that that John was able to lean back and whisper something to the Lord that nobody else could hear. And so it's a place of uh, intimacy. It's a place of closeness, the right hand of the Father. And that's the place where Jesus is uh, with his Father. It's a place of honor. It's a place of honor. The right hand is the the best place, the best seat. Uh, Next to uh, the host, it's a place of honor. And it's a place of all-conquering power. The right hand, the, the right hand of God. Remember, um, Rachel, um, she gave birth to her secondborn son. It was a difficult birth, a hard birth. And so with her last breath, she named him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. She knew she was dying. And uh, Jacob, of course, was brokenhearted over what had happened. But he said, no, his name is not going to be Ben-Oni, son of sorrow. His name is going to be Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of my strength. And so the right hand is a, of, of the Father. Uh, God's right hand is a place of uh, strength. The right hand of God is a place where the true character of the Logos is revealed 
and manifest and obvious. And so if you were to see the right hand of the Father, see the Savior there, maybe see the scars in his hands uh, and, and in his uh, brow uh, or his side, I should say, um, you would see the character of the Logos revealed and manifested. And by Logos, that's the word, the word by which all creation was created. It's what held the whole creation together. It's the character of God. And creation rebelled uh, against uh, that, but is is going to be restored. But if and so you can't see the logos by looking at creation. You can't see what it's all about. You can't see what's uh, behind uh, it all. But if you were to see the right hand of the Father, there you would see the character of the logos revealed. And what is it? Well, John tells us where he talks about the logos in chapter one of his gospel. What it is? It's grace. It's grace upon grace. It's self-giving love. It's the love that sent Jesus to the cross. It's the love by which he went to the cross. You would see there that God is love if you were to see the right hand of uh, the Father. And uh, the rebellious world is out of harmony with the Logos. It's been subjected to futility, so you can't look straight into creation or what happens in creation and see uh, the character of uh, the Logos, but uh, it's going to be brought into back into harmony with uh, the Logos, and then uh, all creation will manifest the character of God as it once did in uh, when it was first um, created. And so because of that, I'm going to give another description of this place, the place of the right hand of the Father. It's a place of expectant waiting. It's a place of expectant waiting. It's a place of waiting for what is seen at the right hand of the Father to become um manifest in the whole world. And that's going to happen when Christ returns and he sets up his kingdom uh, upon uh, the earth. It's described that way as a place of expectant waiting in Psalm 110 and verse one. And this is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And it's quoted here uh, where Paul, or it's alluded to here, where Paul says to uh, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Psalm 110, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so this is a psalm. It's a psalm about a priest, priest forever, according to the priesthood of Melchizedek. But it's a, it's a psalm about his right, the right hand of the father being a place of expectant waiting. Sit here at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your uh, feet. And so it's a place of expectant uh, waiting in that way. That's the way in which it's described Earlier in Colossians, and let me just read these verses again. Maybe you'll catch something of kind of the majesty of this place of the right hand and also that it's a place of expectant waiting for the world to be brought into, um, into harmony with this. Uh, he is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation or the heir of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. There's that expectant waiting. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and so I hope you catch there a sense of expecting waiting for all things to be reconciled, to be brought together so that all things once again reflect uh, what is in um, what what is shown in Christ himself and in the body of Christ himself as he sits on the right hand of God. So uh, all that about this um, place 
Something uh, about this place that you might conclude wrongly, since I've been saying that you might miss this place. You might try to do the Christian life without thinking of this place. You could easily uh, miss it. And then I've also been saying that there's a human body in this place. You might think it's a rather small place. You might conclude it's a, a small place, the right hand uh, of God. I'm not sure if that's the case or, or not, but it is a universe-shaping place. And so if you're to think of it in importance in comparison to this place, the place of uh, God's right hand where Christ himself sits um, as a priest who's completed his work, in comparison to this place, the whole universe would fit into a thimble compared to this place because it is a universe-shaping place, the place of God's uh, right hand. Well, that's something of this place of the right hand of God, and I'm sure much more could be said about uh, this place. You might think of it as a strange place, or you might think that some of the ways in which I've described it, I've described it in a strange way, the place of the right hand of God. But this place is your home. This place is where you belong. And when I say that, I don't so much mean your future home, although I'm sure that's true uh, as well, but I mean it's the place where you dwell now, the place where you reside now. And so this should be a familiar place uh, to you. This place is yours by faith. And so faith is pictured as a going out of yourself. In fact, it's the only way to get out of yourself and all the sin and all the all of the things that you can't get away from about yourself. But by trusting in Christ himself, it's de- described in scripture as the dying to the old life that exists in you and a living again to a new life that exists in this place that exists at the right hand of uh, God, uh, the Father. Well, that's a little bit of introduction just about this place that's mentioned in these verses, the right hand of God, an important place. Paul doesn't want you to just jump into the doing of the Christian life without thinking about, without orienting yourself to this place, this important place, the place of the right hand of God. And actually what Paul does in this passage is he gives two commands in reference to this place, and I'd like you to see what those commands are. Two commands. We'll talk about how they're different from each other, but uh, for, for a moment, we'll talk about how they're the same. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and he says that if, assuming that those that he's speaking to actually have been, if, if you have been raised up with Christ, here's the first command. Keep seeking, or seek, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So there's the first command. It's the command, seek. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And here comes the second command. Set your mind on the things above, and it's also related to that place, the things above the right hand of God. Set your mind on. So seek and set your mind on the things above, and the things above relate to this place, the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, that's the second command, not on the things of this earth. So you'll notice both commands, both commands are commands about things above, things above. Seek the things above and set your mind on the things above. And I've been telling you that there's a person at the right hand of God. Importantly, there's a person at the right hand uh, of God, but the command isn't really about the person so much as the things, the things. Uh, seek the things above and set your mind on the things above. So what are the things above? What are the things above? And I think the answer to that question is that they are the virtues, 
of Christ. He's a person, but the, the virtues that are in him are things, and they're things that you're supposed to share. Uh, you're supposed to uh, endeavor to share those things so that those attributes, those characteristics, those virtues that are part of his character become part of yours too. So those are the things that you're to seek and set your mind on. And they're mentioned in chapter 3. So he's going to introduce it with this command, seek and set your mind on these things. But he's going to tell us what these things are later in the chapter, like in verse 12, where he says, put on, and he mentions things, a heart of compassion. That's a thing. Kindness, humility, gentleness. And patience, those are all things, and they're the things above. They're the things, uh, they're the things that belong to Christ. Beyond all these things, put on love. That's another thing, which is a perfect bond of unity. Or verse 15, let the peace of Christ, that's a thing. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So, uh, these are the things, uh, that you're to seek, the things above where Christ is, because they belong to Him. Uh, things like peace, things like uh, love, things like humility, um, uh, things that are mentioned here, kindness and a heart of uh, compassion. You're to seek those things and you're to set your mind on uh, those things. They're things above and not on the things of this earth, not on the things of this earth. So there's a contrast between those things above, those virtues that um, exist in Christ that you are to share and the things that are on the earth. There's a contrast between those things that are on the earth. So what is the contrast? What is the antithesis here? Don't set your mind on things on the earth, but set your mind on those things uh, above. And uh, you'll notice the contrast is not so much the things above with the things of hell. The contrast is the things above with the things of this earth. And so because of that, and because of the, the way this whole letter unfolds, I think the, the, the contrast here is not so much a contrast between opposites, like compassion and the opposite of compassion, which is uh, hate, or humility and the opposite of humility, which is uh, pride. But rather, it's the contrast between the reality and the opposite. Uh, so then the things on earth would be a kind of compassion, or kindness, or humility, or gentleness and patience that have no connection with Christ, have no connection with Christ at all, and end up being uh, a, a sort of a substitute and actually a counterfeit, and actually lead to uh, the opposite of uh, these uh, of these things. Uh, and this is what the Colossians were uh, getting into. And the more success that you have in putting those things on, things of the earth, things that might uh, appear to be uh, good, but aren't in this place. Don't drive from the place uh, of Christ. The more success you have in putting those on, the more embittered you'll be against God. The more in your heart of hearts you'll wish that God did not exist. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He talks about the success that he had in um, obeying the law of God, and it stirred up in him lust and resentment of um, of every kind. So this is why rules without Christ of any kind um, have no value against fleshly indulgence. Um, and that's what the Colossians were getting into. Um, submitting to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, 
do not touch, and yet they'd lost sight of Christ. They were seeking things of earth and not the things of uh, Christ. And uh, that's what Paul tells them, actually, uh, is that they are uh, submitting to things of this world. He asks them why they're doing that. For example, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so the false teachers were uh, presenting them a counterfeit of uh, virtues that were not connected to Christ. And so Paul says, don't be seeking the things of the earth, the things of the world, but be seeking uh, the things above. So um, when Paul makes a contrast as part of the command, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. I think he has in mind not so much opposites, you know, um, don't be seeking the opposite of all these values as counterfeits. And I think that uh, there's a clue and a confirmation of this. Uh, when Paul mentions what the false teachers are promoting, he uses the same word that he uses later in the things above that we're to be seeking, and that's the word humility. So, for example, in verse uh, 22 and 23 of chapter 2, Paul says, um, uh, talks about things that are destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And he uses the word humility here. Um, it's the same word that he uses later when he's talking about the things above. And one of them, it's in verse uh, 12, is humility, same word. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and humility. But the humility mentioned that the false teachers are promoting is a thing of the earth. It's it's And the humility that he's mentioning uh, in chapter 3 and verse 12 when he says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and humility is one of the things above. It's one of the things at the right hand of God that we're to be seeking rather than the things of uh, the earth. So uh, if you're seeking the virtues that come from the earth, the problem is you can never get out of the earth. You can never get uh, out of that. And so uh, what inevitably comes is the revenge of the flesh. The harder you push against the flesh, the more it pushes back. And it takes his revenge as you have uh, success because you're, you're uh, seeking a virtue that's of the earth and you can't get out of it. The only portal from the old life to the new life, so you can actually kill the old and bring in the new, is Christ and faith in Christ and the death of Christ, which puts to death the old life and brings in um, the new uh, life. So what is the difference between the counterfeit virtue that is a thing of the earth and the true virtue that is at the right hand of God and that we're to be uh, seeking and that is related to the resurrected uh, Christ. What is it that changes that virtue from its counterfeit, which is useless, of no avail against the flesh, to the real thing that you're to put on and actually make progress um, in doing it? And I think the answer to that is that the things above are informed by what is alien to this world, something that you'll never find on this earth. And that is the grace, the undeserved favor that's found in Christ. It's only found in Christ. It's alien to this world. Or I could put it this way, 
a love of a kind that the world uh, does not have. It's not found on this earth. It's only found above. It's only found at the place of the right hand of God. It's a love for enemies. It's the love that sent Christ to the cross. It's described in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us, an alien kind of love, a love that only belongs to him. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that kind of love informs all the other kinds of virtues that are there at the right hand of God. And I think a confirmation of that is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, as he says, all the things that you're to put on, they're all things above. He gets to this one in verse 14. He says, beyond all these things, they're all things above. They're all virtues. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And uh, a more literal way to describe that would be the uniting bond of perfection. And it may be that what he's talking about is the thing that unites all of those virtues uh, that are the things above is the love that is found uh, in uh, Christ. It's been said uh, before uh, by uh, by the old Puritans, only the eye of faith can weep tears of repentance. Only the eye of faith can weep uh, tears of repentance, can put on the things that are above in Christ. And so if you want to put on not the things of the earth uh, that are virtues, that might seem like virtues, but are not going to uh, last, you need to have faith in a love that you can't find on earth. You can only find it above. You can only find it at the right hand of God and believe that it is for you. And uh, then you'll be able to put on the virtues of the things that are uh, above as well. So those are that's what's the same about the two commands uh, that are given here. Uh, the things above. Seek the things above and set your mind on the things above. I've talked about what's the same, the things above, what those things are. Let me talk about how those two commands are different because they are different uh, uh, commands. The first command is to seek the things above. And uh, seeking indicates simply effort towards a goal, effort towards a goal. And so when these things above, they're not going to be easy to put on. They're going to require effort. They're going to require seeking each one of these things. And we'll get into each one as we go in uh, chapter three, the heart of compassion, the kindness the humility, the gentleness, these are things above and, and, and the way they're connected to Christ uh, himself. They don't come automatically. They come by seeking. And uh, so we're to seek and it uh, involves effort towards a goal. And that first command emphasizes that effort. The second command is slightly different. It's parallel, of course, but it's, a, it's, it's different enough to be a different command. Set your mind on the things above. And this command tells us how we're to seek, what kind of effort we're to make in order to uh, put on these uh, things above and make them uh, to be our own. The, the word for this second command that's in verse 2, um, it could probably be most easily translated as think. Think of the things above. That's the way in which you're to seek the things above, is to fill your mind uh, with them, to think on the things above. But the word is more than just mental. Like uh, making a list of definitions 
of these different uh, attributes of Christ, the heart of compassion, kindness, and humility. No, the, the word uh, indicates that that might be part of what it means to think on these things, but not all of it. And so the word indicates uh, an act not just of the mind, but of the will, of devotion, to devote yourself to these things, or of an attitude, having an attitude of these things. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, um, the same word is used, and it's often translated, have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so it's uh, to think it's not just mental, but it's uh, to, vo- to devote yourself in your mind towards pursuing, to be thinking about these things and to be um, endeavoring to uh, put on uh, these uh, things. So seek the things above, the virtues that belong uh, to Christ. Think, have an attitude, set your, your, uh, your, as your goal and the goal of your thinking and be, to be constantly thinking of these things, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, but be thinking of them as they are in Christ. Be thinking of them as they are in Christ. It is an effort to be a Christian. It is an effort to act like a Christian. It is an effort to put off the behaviors of the old man and to put on the behaviors of the new. It's an effort to be a doer, which is what a Christian is. And so uh, you're to set your mind uh, for action Seeking these things, thinking about these things, but thinking about them as they are above, not as they are on this earth, not as they are uh, as uh, advertised on this earth of of people who would uh, seek for self-improvement apart from Christ himself. But but seeking these things, thinking of these things as they are informed by faith Um that looks to Christ and his love uh, for us um, and only exists by us believing in those things and uh, walking in them as they are in Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ himself is for us. And uh, we thank you that when we put our trust in him, when we grow in our trust in him that we are transported to a different place and a different kind of life. It's a place of the right hand of God. Father, we thank you that this place is permeated. It breathes an atmosphere of grace, of love, of uh, a love of a different kind, even than the world calls love, a love for the undeserving, a love for sinners, a love for us. And so it's a place where... uh, Helpless sinners, hopeless sinners are welcomed uh, into uh, the presence. And so uh, we thank you that by faith we're transported to this uh, place, we're transported into this new life, and then we're told to seek the things that are there and to uh, put on the things that are there. And so we pray that you'd make us to be doers, but doers in the right place, doers at the place of the right hand of the Father. So, Father, we pray that we'd be thinking often of this place, orienting ourselves to this place, and then filling our mind with the things that are there uh, in this place and walking in them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.